Welcome back, and thank you for listening to Xenozoic Xenophiles, a fan podcast devoted to the comic series Xenozoic Tales, a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs from creator, writer, and artist Mark Schultz. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth, and this is a fan podcast. We're not affiliated with Mark Schultz, and the opinions expressed are just ours. We're doing this podcast because we always enjoy reading and talking about the world of Xenozoic Tales by Mark Schultz. In this episode, we're discussing Xenozoic Tales, Issue 11, from April 1991. It features one story written and illustrated by Mark Schultz, and a second story written by Mark Schultz and illustrated by Steve Stiles. Now, we've explained our title in the past, but we'll quickly review it for new listeners. Of course, Xenozoic is part of the title of the comic. Xeno is defined as something that is strange or foreign, while Zoic refers to a geological period of time, so Xenozoic basically means strange age. And a xenophile is someone who is interested in foreign lands and foreign cultures. That word describes us perfectly, because we're definitely interested in foreign lands and foreign cultures, just like those found in Xenozoic Tales. Of course, many of you might be familiar with this series under the title Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. That's occasionally been used for reprint collections as well as for video games and an animated TV series. The original comic series created, written, and primarily illustrated by Mark Schultz was published by Kitchen Sink Press under the title Xenozoic Tales for 14 issues from 1987 to 1996. And this is an especially exciting time to be revisiting the series because Mark Schultz is currently working on a new Xenozoic Tales graphic novel. Yay! Be sure to join the Facebook page Mark Schultz Xenozoic Tales and Other Stories for the latest official news and information. Flesk Publications has announced there will be a Kickstarter campaign for the new book when it's ready. More information will be released later, and we'll definitely let everyone know when it starts. If you don't have the earlier issues of the series but want to pick them up, we recommend the collection titled Xenozoic, which contains all of the stories written and illustrated by Mark Schultz. It's a wonderful, oversized book printed on high-quality paper. It's available with two beautiful covers that you can order directly from Flesk Publications, and we'll include a link in our show notes. And of course, while you're there, be sure to check out the other wonderful books they have available from a variety of awesome creators. And if you would like some music to listen to while reading the series, then consider picking up Songs from the Xenozoic Age. It's an eclectic mix of fun songs by John Chris Christensen that are inspired by the series, and the CD features album art by Mark Schultz. We enjoy sharing listener feedback and being part of the fun conversations with listeners on social media. Please feel free to write in any time and let us know what you think about the series. We'd love to know what you like best about the art and stories and how you first discovered Xenozoic Tales. Later on in the episode, we'll share your listener feedback and we'll provide our email address and other ways to contact us at the end of the show. And later in the episode, we'll have some details about Baltimore Comic Con, where we had the chance to talk with John Flesks and meet a couple of other Mark Schultz fans. Xenozoic Xenophiles is part of the Rad Adventures Network. If you enjoy the show, please consider checking out our other podcasts that are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. Trekker Talk is a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of the sci-fi comic Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. And Warlord Worlds is a fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of writer and artist Mike Grell, including the Warlord, John Sable, and Green Arrow. Mark Schultz, Ron Randall, and Mike Grell are our favorite comic creators. Their stories are filled with adventure and interesting characters, and their art is excellent. We'll include links to those other podcasts in our show notes. But for now, let's check out this month's issue. Xenozoic Tales, number 11, April 1991. Publisher, Dennis Kitchen. Editor, Dave Schreiner. Letters, Denise Prowl. 
Production, Jan Manweiler. Circulation, Paula Zone. Color covers, Gray Fehrenbach. It's the 26th century. The world has undergone a great geological cataclysm causing global catastrophes. Few people survived. Those that did found themselves living in isolated tribes in a very different world and a strange ecosystem. It's a new age known as the Xenozoic Era. The cover features an image of Jack and Hannah on the open ocean in a small sailboat. The two have fearful looks on their faces as they look off the page at something that must be terrifying. In the background, a Zeke, or Pteranodon, flies just above the water, and it is also looking in the same direction at the terrifying image just off the page. The bright blue sky and deep blue water look tranquil, which heightens the feeling of fear as the frightened expressions on Jack's and Hannah's faces are anything other than tranquil. Primeval, written and illustrated by Mark Schultz. Jack and Hannah have anchored their sailboat just offshore and have gone inland for game. Using a bow and arrow, Hannah has killed a shilawak, which looks like a zebra. As the two carry the carcass back to the boat, Hannah continues to press Jack to go to Wasoon and join them to fight Sharnhorst, but he refuses. He knows the only thing that she and the people of Wasoon really want is access to the secrets in the library in the City in the Sea, and he isn't going to be manipulated by them just as he isn't going to be manipulated by Sharnhorst. He is quite content to live in the wilderness away from other humans. As they prepare to leave, Jack sees another sailboat in the distance, and it's traveling quickly. Jack recognizes the ship. Sharnhorst has sent one of the fastest vessels from the city in the sea to track them. The only hope they have is to sail into the marshes. Their ship can travel in shallower water, and behind them they see the pursuing ship lurch and then stop. At first, it seems the pursuing ship has hit bottom, but then a large herbivore rises out of the water, capsizing the ship. While Jack and Hannah watch the commotion behind them, they don't notice a second pursuing ship moving toward them, and it cuts them off from making another run at the marshes. Jack quickly turns their ship out to sea, but the pursuing ship is faster. Jack and Hannah work together with the cell and the tiller, pushing their small craft to move as quickly as possible. Behind them, they see the mast of the pursuing ship crack and then break from the stress of the strong winds. Jack smiles. He knows something that Sharnhorse didn't know. He and Mustafa built that ship, and Jack knew just how much stress it could take. However, Jack's and Hannah's worries aren't over. They are now far out to sea, and a storm is moving in quickly. Jack stares in horror as a waterspout forms and moves toward their ship, but Hannah reacts quickly, grabbing her rifle and firing repeated shots into the air. Jack stares at her in bewilderment, but then the waterspout dissipates, and Hannah turns to Jack, telling him that the sounds of shots can disrupt a waterspout's momentum. The stormy sea drives the small boat toward an island, grounding it on a sandbar just offshore. Jack and Hannah are safe for now. They just need to wait for high tide to free their boat. They decide to search the island for some much-needed fresh water while they wait, but soon come across another grounded ship and find that the skeletons of the crew have been picked clean. The pair are shocked to see frighteningly large crabs shuffling toward them. It takes multiple gunshots to kill one of the creatures that gets too close. 
The two carefully continue into the interior of the island in their search for fresh water, but are soon confronted by a huge scorpion. Running away, Jack and Hannah soon find themselves in a forest teeming with giant invertebrates. Hannah theorizes they have grown so large by filling all the niches in the food chain. As giant spiders begin to move toward them, Jack and Hannah know their only hope is to jump from a high cliff into the ocean below. The two swim as quickly as possible toward their boat as large trilobite-like creatures pursue them. Pulling themselves onto the boat, Jack momentarily thinks they are safe, but Hannah has been bitten by one of the creatures and is in desperate need of attention. As Hannah collapses in his arms, Jack stares at her and says, You win. We sail for Wasoon. As Jack quickly guides the ship from the island, several Grith watch from a cliff high above. Meanwhile, back in the city in the sea, after realizing the pursuers have failed to capture Jack and Hannah, Sharnhorst orders Governor Nock to send a delegation to Wasoon to tell them to turn over Jack Tenrick or to prepare for war. Action-packed is a complete understatement to use to describe this story, as it features multiple sequences that keep the reader on a roller coaster to the very end. Not one, but two encounters with pursuing ships, followed by multiple encounters with creepy, crawly creatures on the island. Mark Schultz's command of the story and art are evident throughout. Having a zebra in the wild near what used to be Washington, D.C. made me think that there are probably entire herds of animals that are descended from animals that escaped from zoos long ago. I really like the scene of the dinosaur crashing the first pursuit ship. You can take it as pure coincidence. Or after seeing some of these coincidences in the past, you can begin to wonder if Jack's connection to the Machinato Vitae might mystically bring him some level of protection in times of need. Just a thought. The sequence on the island is awesome, and I wonder if it might be an homage to a couple of films. The sequence on the shore makes me think of the 1961 film Mysterious Island, featuring the amazing effects of Ray Harryhausen, and the sequence in the interior of the island makes me think of King Kong. The 1933 version of King Kong originally included a sequence where several sailors are trapped in a ravine with a menagerie of monsters. The scene was cut before the film was released, and the footage was later lost. While filming the 2005 remake, director Peter Jackson recreated that sequence in two very different ways. He actually created a version of the scene from the original production notes in black and white using the same stop-motion style as the original film so that fans can see close to the way it was originally intended. And then he also included a similar scene using modern computer techniques in his finished remake. Both sequences are extremely frightening in my opinion. And I love the scene of the Grith standing on the cliff at the end of the story, showing that they are always watching, and also showing that they can live in harmony anywhere in this world, even on an island as inhospitable as this one. In closing, I'll mention some of my favorite art. The opening page is like an illustrated scavenger hunt of how many different creatures and how much vegetation you can find in the detailed drawing. It's mesmerizing. And the pages as Jack and Hannah try to control their boat during the storm are very exciting with lots of variety to the images. And while everyone knows that I love the art of Mark Schultz, I have to say that those giant spiders are a bit too real for me. They're so frightening they give me nightmares. Yuck. It was 1938. The country continues its slow recovery from the Great Depression. While war clouds loom throughout Asia and German aggression builds in Europe, Americans seek comfort and distraction. It was a time when the most popular form of entertainment was radio, but a new form had been growing steadily and was set to explode. 
It was to become the golden age of the American comic book. My name is Chris. And my name is Mike. Please join us as we explore comics in the golden age between 1938 and 1955. All genres will be discussed, from superheroes to crime, horror, science fiction, humor, and western. So join us for the Comics in the Golden Age podcast, available through iTunes and Stitcher, and visit us on Facebook or at comicsinthegoldenage.com. Report for the Resistance, written by Mark Schultz, illustrated by Steve Stiles. In a dark room, high in one of the skyscrapers in the city and the sea, Mustafa Cairo thinks about the many disturbing things he's seen in the weeks since Sharnhorse was elected as one of the city's governors. Huge blasts ring out, carving a new road to expand production at the copper mines. Oil wells are being drilled in the marshlands. Grasslands are being burned to expand farms. Pesticides are being used on crops. Entire herds of herbivores are being killed to help expand farmlands. Mustafa begins writing a letter to Governor Dahlgren, which details the activities that he and his crew have been involved in. They raided one of Sharnhorst's packed larders where excessive amounts of food were being left to rot. They've also turned Hermes into a boogeyman, leading him around by chains at night and allowing him to destroy storehouses to create the fear of a hideous marauder in the shadows. However, Mustafa knows they won't be able to use Hermes much longer. He is getting too large and soon they won't be able to control him. Mustafa also relays a story of trying to convince Alvarado the blacksmith to join their side. He refused, saying he supported Sharnhorst's plans for the region. However, someone saw them speaking, and later Alvarado was accused of being involved. He was beaten and carried off by Sharnhorst guards and hasn't been seen since. Mustafa will go deeper into hiding. He will continue to do what he can from the shadows, but he warns Dahlgren to be cautious and not take any risks. She is their ace in the hole. Mustafa attaches the letter to the ankle of Azik and sends it flying into the air. This is another perfect example of the way Mark Schultz uses these little backup stories to tell us a little more about what's going on elsewhere without interrupting the flow of the main story. I like Mustafa Cairo, so any opportunity to spend some time with him is great, in my opinion. The concern on Mustafa's face as he writes the letter is obvious, and I like getting an update on his activities, and it's fun to see the way they use Hermes in the story. I also really like the idea of using Zeke's carrier pigeons. That was fun. Steve Stiles' art is great throughout, and he uses shadows and light to create some really nice effects. I especially like the scene when Hermes first appears, and all you can see in the shadows are his eyes and the very top of his head. A very nice image. Adolescents this generation have no respect and are a far cry from my sweet Jane Eyre and her friend Helen Burns. Why, just this afternoon I was Stella. across and, and you know what? Men too. Well, uh, 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 Stella? Men like the tragic Mr. Rochester and teachers, pa, they're all like the villainous Mr. Brocklehurst. Hey, Stella! Uh, yes, Thomas? As much as I enjoy um, indulging your insanity, uh, we have a promo to record. Oh dear, and what might that be? That 
is you and I telling everyone that we have a brand new podcast out there. It's called Required Reading with Tom and Stella. Once a month, we will take a look at a single work of literature, discuss it, analyze it, and determine if it's worth its place in the canon. Oh dear, that sounds delightful. Oh, I'm sure it will be. And you can find us on the Two True Freaks Network, which is at twotruefreaks.com. Oh yes, required reading with Tom and... Why is it Tom and Stella? Why can't it be Stella and Tom? It rolls off the tongue better? Okay. Well, that was easy. So, required reading with Tom and Stella at twotruefreaks.com. Thanks for contributing to the promo there. You did a great job. Oh, you are so welcome. Let's review who's who and what's what in Xenozoic Tales. This is the 26th century, long after a series of geological cataclysms. What is known as the city in the sea in these stories is the island of Manhattan that is now partially submerged in the ocean. The city of Wasoon is what we know as Washington, D.C. Jack Tenrick is an old blood mechanic, one of the few people who have learned how to repair the many machines left over from the distant past. He's also a bit of a shaman. Hannah Dundee is a scientist and ambassador from Wasoon who has come to the city and the sea in the hopes of building cooperation between the two cities. Hermes is a juvenile Allosaurus, or Cutter, that Jack raised after its mother was killed by poachers. Hermes can be vicious to others, but is usually gentle with Jack. Mustafa Cairo is an engineer and one of Jack's best friends. His services are obviously needed everywhere, as we've seen him fixing machinery at distant mines as well as in the city. Wilhelmina Scharnhorst was once the leader of the Moles, a group of people who preferred to live and work underground where they searched the ancient ruins under the city and the sea. She despises the old blood mechanics, and she and Jack have little respect for each other. She has used her influence to be elected as one of the city's governors. The Grith are mysterious humanoid reptiles and are allies of both Jack and Hannah, who are two of the very few people who have ever seen the Grith. The Grith communicate telepathically with each other and talk to Jack and Hannah using the letter tiles from an old Scrabble board game. The Governing Council rules the city and the sea and consists of several members, including Governors Nock, Toulouse, Dahlgren, and now Scharnhorst. Some members respect Jack, while other members resent that he is more popular with the people than they are. Next up is listener feedback when we share the emails and messages we've received since last time. Thanks to everyone for the comments. Your support and encouragement is great, and we appreciate everyone who took the time to get in touch to share your thoughts. Oliver Babbles wrote in to say how much he liked the cover the last issue, calling it awesome. And he sent us a photo saying that he made the jump and got a copy of one of the Xenozoic Tales trades. We're excited to know that, Oliver. We're confident that you'll enjoy it. Jerry Green of Bat Books for Beginners is also a fan of the last cover, and he live-tweeted during the last podcast saying, Sitting back, relaxing, and listening to the new podcast. I love it. Tony Greenall, who I am always so jealous of because he lives near Sherwood Forest, did a great promotion of our last episode. He shared the link to the show and recommended the show to all of his comic fan friends. Thanks, Tony. Randy Andrews of Soundtrack Alley and the new podcast The Gen 13 Files let us know he enjoyed the latest episode and that he is now determined to get the Xenozoic collection. Daniel Blake loved the cosplay photos of Victoria Ruiz Mena, saying, Fantastic! Now I want to read the comics, watch the cartoon, and play the RPG. Jean-Paul Parling shared a terrific drawing he did in the style of Mark Schultz. 
It features a beautiful and powerful woman with a tiger walking beside her. It's stunning. Joe Crawford of the blog for the non-discerning reader said he read a gorgeous Namor story by Mark Schultz and Al Williamson, and he shared some of his favorite panels with us. We had never seen that, so thank you, Joe. Darren Murphy of the Jason Todd blog, The Red Hooded Outlaw, let us know he discovered our show and subscribed on Google Play. Thank you, Darren. From me, Darren. <laughs> Thanks to Ed Moore of Till Productions for making sure we were aware that the new Comic Book Creator magazine was out from Tomorrow's Publishing. It's an 84-page magazine with an in-depth interview with Mark Schultz and includes lots of great art and photos. You can buy it directly from the publisher, comic book shops, and bookstores. We'll include a link to the Tomorrow's site so you can check out the sample pages and pick up a copy there if you'd like. We highly recommend it. And we give a big thank you to Mark Sweeney of the podcast and blog I'm the Gun and the Twitter feed Comics Couplets. Mark surprised us with an amazing book titled Al Williamson's Adventures. It's an out-of-print, oversized tribute book filled with lots of great Al Williamson art, with stories written by Harlan Ellison, Archie Goodwin, Mark Wheatley, and Bruce Jones. Mark Sweeney already knew that we were fans of Al Williamson's art, but the reason he thought to gift this awesome book to us is because one of the stories is written by Mark Schultz. It's titled One Last Job, and we had not seen this story before and were excited to read it right away, and we'll plan to cover it sometime in the future on a Tangent episode. Thank you so much, Mark. This book is already a treasured part of our library. As we wrap up our feedback, we'll mention that we recently went to Baltimore Comic Con. It's a favorite convention of ours, but we had decided not to attend this year. In the past, we've always been fortunate to see Mark Schultz or Ron Randall or Mike Grell there. But since none of them were attending this year, we thought we would skip it for a relaxing weekend at home. Then they announced the first ever convention appearance of Linda Carter, and we knew we had to go because we're both fans of her Wonder Woman TV series. While most people know her as Wonder Woman, she's actually spent more of her career as a singer. During the concert, she mentioned that she was singing in clubs at the age of 14 to help her single mother with expenses. Acting was more of an unintended tangent for her, and later she retired completely from acting and singing to raise her children, but started singing and touring again more than 10 years ago when her children were grown. She was only there for the concert on Friday evening, but on Saturday, lots of people were saying they hoped she'd enjoyed herself and might return in the future, since she lives nearby in Washington, D.C. Or, should I say, that she lives nearby in Wasoon. During the weekend, we met up with several other podcasters and friends. Mike Lane of the Comics in the Golden Age podcast joined us for the Linda Carter concert on Friday night, but sadly his wife Kamutha was suffering from a bad cold and missed the show. Thankfully, she was feeling better by Sunday, and we had the opportunity to chat with Mike, Kamutha, and their daughter Mina at lunch about Star Trek, Doctor Who, comics, and more. We were also able to see Jeff Parker, who's a great writer and artist who we've had the pleasure to get to know in recent years. He currently writes Future Quest, which is a favorite of ours. And we were able to visit with Tom Zoller, who does several great comics, including Love and Capes, which is a favorite of mine. We also had the opportunity to meet up with Christopher Calloway of the Creator Talks podcast. His show features fabulous interviews with a wide variety of creators, and he always asks insightful questions. As usual, he was busy coordinating interviews for future episodes during the weekend. The lovely Stella of the Batgirl to Oracle podcast saw our social media post and messaged us, and thanks to her, we had the opportunity to meet up with a couple of other great podcasters. Gene Hendricks of the Hammer Strikes and the Two True Freaks podcast network was there, and we had the great pleasure to meet his family. Gene gave us our very first podcast guest appearance a couple of years ago when we joined him to talk about Buck Rogers in the 25th century on his fun show, Legends of the Superheroes. And we met Tom Panarese of the Pop Culture Affidavit, 
where he talks about a variety of topics, including comics, anime, and films, including discussing my favorite film, The Princess Bride, on a recent episode. Tom also co-hosts the Required Reading Podcast with Stella, where they discuss literary classics. We visited the Flesk Publications booth at the convention and had a wonderful conversation with John Flesk himself. It was fun to talk to him about the new Xenozoic book. He was very excited about the pages he had recently seen, and he shared that he would be seeing even more additional pages in just a few weeks when he meets up with Mark Schultz again. It's very exciting to hear how the book is progressing. We had our various podcast t-shirts with us. We both take a shirt from each of our three podcasts, and we mix them up during the weekend, and they were very beneficial for us at this convention. Online friend Robert Bell recognized us thanks to our shirts, and we had a great conversation with him. A very friendly gentleman, and it was great to meet him in person. And then a couple stopped us when they saw our Xenozoic t-shirts, and we had the wonderful opportunity to meet Mark Schultz fans Colby and Alicia Webb, and we had a nice chat about our shared love of Xenozoic tales and Mark Schultz art. The two of them have met Mark at other conventions in the past, including the Boston Con where our friend Dr. Ange met Mark last year, and they've even managed to acquire some pages of original Mark Schultz art. Fantastic. Taking advantage of Colby's unique name, the couple have a business called the Big Cheese Comics. I love that. You can find it on Facebook, and we'll include a link in our show notes. Next, we want to extend our thanks to everyone who supported the show on social media since last episode. These are people who commented or shared posts from us on Twitter, Tumblr, or Facebook, and we sincerely appreciate the support. Before we start, let me say if we miss a name, just let us know and we'll correct it next time. And please forgive us if we mispronounce your name. Just write to us and let us know and we'll be sure to correct that next time. The 20th Century Geek Podcast with Scott Weatherly, Alan Comp, Ange of the Supergirl Comic Box Commentary Blog, Ashford of the Ride On Network featuring Feathers and Foes and Straight Out of Gallifrey, Brian Mulvey, Charles Motti, Chris Carnes of Bat Books for Beginners, Chris Mounts, Clinton Robinson of the Coffee and Comics blog and podcast, Comics in the Golden Age with Mike and Chris, Colin Stapleton from the Worst Comics Podcast Ever, Dan Dans, David Bagsby, Dr. G. Manandardology from the Pulp to Pixel podcast, Ed and Terry Moore of Till Productions, Eric Mannix of Out of the Fridge and Pages for All Ages, Gene Hendricks from The Hammer Strikes and other podcasts at Two True Freaks, Jerry Green of Bat Books for Beginners, Giovanni Luizzi, Green Lantern HG. Hal Jordan, Jean-Pierre Parlang, Jeff Messer of the Geek Brain Podcast, Joe Crawford of the blog for the non-discerning reader, John Baker, reviewer at 3th by Space, Justice's First Dawn with Mike Peacock, Karen Williams of Between the Pages, Keith G. Baker, Larry Looper Jr., a.k.a. Vic Sage and writer for The Retroist, Laurel Phillips, a.k.a. Mountainflower, Longbox Crusade Podcast with Pat and Jared, Mark Adams of the Mark Smith's Podcast. Mark Sweeney from the I'm the Gun blog and podcast and comics couplets. Martin Gray of the blog Too Dangerous for a Girl. Pascal Authentic. Paul Hicks of the Waiting for Doom podcast. Rolled Spine podcast. Ryan Daly of the Power of Fishnets and Batman Nightcast. Silver and Gold podcast with Jay and Roy. Tony Greenall and Wendy Freeman of the podcast Double Page Spread. Before we go, we want to provide our contact information. You can contact us directly at xenozoicxenophiles at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram under the name Xenozoic Xenophiles. 
And you can always visit xenozoicxenophiles.com for links to all of our social media pages. You can listen to the show through iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, and you can find all of the episodes at xenozoicxenophiles.podbean.com. And you can find the show on YouTube as part of the Rad Adventures Podcast Network. That's R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren. On the Rad Adventures YouTube channel, you'll find all of the episodes of all of our podcasts, including Xenozoic Xenophiles, as well as Trekker Talk about 23rd Century Bounty Hunter Mercy St. Clair by Ron Randall, and Warlord Worlds about the comic creations of Mike Grell, including the Warlord, John Sable, and Green Arrow. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Every review helps the podcast be more likely to show up in search results. And on YouTube, we hope you'll subscribe to the channel and give us some likes on the videos. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll come back next time for another new episode of Xenozoic Xenophiles. Xenozoic Xenophiles is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. For more information, please visit comicspodcasts.com. We are not affiliated with Mark Schultz or the various companies that have published the series. The views expressed on the show are solely ours. Music is taken from the album, Movie Tunes, Background Music, Songs and Loops, Volume 2. We make no money from this podcast and no copyright infringement is intended. use that (laughs) (laughs) i need to do it better then roar no the first one was better first one was nice